0: Hello and welcome to Disneyversity. The podcast crash course through the history of Disney's animated classics, where we talk about some of the most famous movies ever made that most of us probably don't know nearly as well as we think. Each episode we'll be moving forward in time through the legendary Disney catalog, watching every feature film in the Walt Disney Animation Studios vault, from Snow White to Encanto, seeing how they stand up today, how they push the boundaries of animation shaped the legacy of Walt Disney and the wider Disney brand, and how they influence pop culture at large. (laughs) A brief disclaimer, this is not an official Disney podcast, but all of these films are available to stream now on Disney+, so come on, watch along with us, and let's learn together. I'm film journalist Ben Travis, and no, don't get your hopes up too much, we are not ready for the main show to return quite yet, but this is Disneyversity, this is our re-watching of every Walt Disney Animation Studios movie on Disney+, and so when a brand new Disney Plus movie drops that incorporates all kinds of characters that we know and love from those animated movies, featuring a couple of characters who we've discussed in our most recent era of the show... We couldn't pass up the opportunity to dig into it. Come on, this is what we do. So, yes, some of you asked for it. We were going to do it anyway. We are doing a special bonus episode on the delight that is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And as ever, I'm not alone in my discussion. This show would be nothing without the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Sam Summers. And he is, of course, here with us today. How are you doing, Sam?
1: Ch-ch-ch-chip and <laughs> Rescue Ranger! Ch-ch-ch-chip and, and ale. Ale. I'm hyped, man. I'm excited. <laughs>
0: There's a lot to be hyped about with this film. It feels like it was engineered for people like us <laughs> to enjoy Chippendale Rescue Rangers, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Perhaps a little bit too... Oh, I'm trying not to get too cynical straight away. A little bit too precision engineered. Like, they, they know who I am. They know what I'm about. They know what to do to make me happy, to make me scream, to make me fist pump. And they're going to go ahead and do it and perhaps not do that much else around doing that, so... <laughs>
0: they've seen the letterbox list of every single movie we've referenced on this podcast the map of your brain by what is it john david baker was he
1: the listener who did
0: that and they put that into a Chippendale algorithm and turned it into a movie and this is what we got
1: and i'm not gonna denigrate them for that i'm not gonna complain about this exquisite buffet that's being laid before me of delightful obscure animation references for me to pick through and point at things and say that's blaster from transformers the autobot who turns into a radio. That's one of the <laughs> snorks from Hanna-Barbera's The Snorks that's been merged with Franco-Belgian comic strip Cowboy Lucky Luke. That's exactly <laughs> what I want from a movie on some level is to be able to point at things and say stuff like that. That's Ferb from Phineas and Ferb mixed up with the Door Door from the Looney Tunes Bob Clampett classic Porky and Wacky Land. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm here for. <laughs> even if that's just the baseline of what I'm given in the movie I'm having a great time so I had a great time with this film I'm gonna have a great time talking about it
0: yeah it feels like if there's anybody to discuss this film with it has to be you you're the one who's going to be able to pick out all these random references that the rest of us don't know so I'm, I'm pretty excited to dig into it but before we do just a small update from me since we last recorded I've had a pretty good time, I got to go for my brilliantly stupid job to Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, California, and the Anaheim Convention Center is right next to the original Disneyland. I got to go to Disneyland! A couple of times! Uh, Let me tell you, I had the absolute time of my life. Um, We're hoping to do a Disneyland Paris trip for Disneyversity, where Sam and I will go around all the rides and talk about the history of Disneyland and where all these rides came from. And I have to say, this trip to Disneyland in Anaheim made me even more excited to do that because I was freaking out when I got through those gates and I first saw like the little train that takes you past and I was like, because Walt loved trains and that's where the roller coasters came from and seeing the posters for Mr. Toad's wild ride, I stood next to the giant monstro and, and got a picture looking deeply upset by his presence. I did a couple of the old school Disney rides I was kind of saving most of them up Sam for when we go, it felt like cheating to go without you, but I did do (laughs) It's a Small World for for reasons that I can't really explain Uh, I went on Splash Mountain twice in a row I experienced that and immediately had to take it in again because that was a wild wild trip (laughs) of a ride with all sorts of unexplainable things happening along the way
1: And yeah, it was incredible. I really was in the happiest place on earth. And I was in the most envious place on earth receiving all of these photos and stories about this trip. Did you go on Mr. Toad? I didn't go
0: on Mr. Toad. No, they had a big poster for it and I kind of wanted to do it, but... The amount of stuff to do and to see, even in, I guess, a small-ish Disneyland by the standards of some of the massive theme parks. But uh, I was there for kind of two evenings, basically, Uh, one of which was largely spent at Galaxy's Edge because I was there for Star Wars Celebration. God, we got to do Rise of the Resistance, the big Star Wars ride and Millennium Falcon smugglers run and just spending time in that area as well, drinking blue milk and eating a Ronto wrap and... All of it had to be done. So I didn't have as much time to do the old school Disney stuff, but we we got a couple of rides in. Oh, I did the Matterhorn. That was the
1: very first ride I did when we got in, because there was basically Uh, no queue. Which,
0: was that one of the first rides that was there when they very first opened the park?
1: It wasn't there on opening day. It was added a little bit later on, which is why it doesn't quite make sense that it's in, like, Fantasyland. It's like, oh, it's not... a fantasy it's a real mountain uh, inspired by the live-action Disney mountaineering movie third man on the mountain Ooh, definitely a ride which has outlasted its source material
0: <laughs> was the third man on the mountain a yeti is that what that was
1: <laughs> the third man on the mountain is you Ooh, they should have said
0: that at the start of the ride it was extremely rattly. I felt like my bones had been shaken out of place <laughs> on the matter one.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty old one. But that's what I love about... And I say this as if I've been there, which I haven't. This is what I love about Anaheim in theory. That they've kept a lot of the stuff more or less as it was when it was originally created it's got a lot of the older rides still intact you went on haunted mansion right
0: yeah i did haunted mansion which was awesome which was so great i watched the documentary on that on disney plus what was that series called behind the attraction i think they put it out around the time that jungle cruise came out so i felt well primed for all the storytelling of the haunted mansion such a cool and interesting ride with all of the effects and stuff of of the ghost things all all the way around and thinking i kind of know how they did that with the reflections that then make you think there's ghosts in the room. Very cool. Uh, of course, obviously, they are actually real ghosts. It is a real haunted mansion. That is the magic of Disneyland. Uh, but I think I, going in, I felt that history of the place and just seeing Main Street and thinking about all the stuff we've talked about on this pod, Sam, of of Walt's America, of what Disneyland represented for Disney, that the, the brand and the company and the man oh i felt really steeped in all of that history so i really wished you were there with me i can't wait for us to make that disneyland trip happen to to paris we'll we'll do paris that's easier to do for us than going all the way to anaheim but yeah it was it was a hell of a time Anyway, that's enough of me waffling about what a nice time I've been having. (laughs) We have some serious business to get down to, and by serious business I mean a movie full of cartoons running amok. So let's talk about Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. Overall, what did you think of the film,
1: Sam? I mean, yeah, as I kind of suggested before, I had a good time when I was watching this. I do kind of... So so there's elements, like, visually I wish had been a bit different, which we'll get to, and there's elements story-wise which I think were possibly ill-advised. And just in general, I think, Okay, so you can't talk about this movie without talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit because it's so very much, obviously, playing in that world or a version of that world and it invites so many comparisons to that movie. And both in terms of the animation on display... And the way that the Toon characters are utilised in the world of the film, and the the degree to which they've thought through the logic of that world, and, and the the allegory of that world as well, like what do the Toons represent, none of that is anywhere near on the same level. And you know, it's hard, because that, that's like one of my favourite movies of all time, you know Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And you know just because this movie is playing with those same ideas it doesn't necessarily mean that that should be my measuring stick for evaluating it really i should be looking at it on its own terms but it does highlight some of the shortcomings in ways that we'll get to as we go through ben what do you think of um who framed roger rabbit
0: this is a safe space right this is (laughs) this is a welcoming space for all which means that i can Uh say i've never seen who framed roger rabbit which is probably sacrilege people are going to be asking for me to be fired from my job uh, to be booted off this podcast i've just never i've just never seen it i just never saw it growing up I've never got around to kind of going back and, and seeing it as an adult, which now I really feel I have to. Maybe maybe you can find a, a point in the podcast, Sam, to force me to watch it. Not that I have to be forced,
1: just everything's crowding for our attentions all the time,
0: and I just haven't had time for Roger Rabbit.
1: I think that's a good thing. It means that when we do inevitably get to talking about Roger Rabbit on this podcast, it means that you will be watching it fresh, so much like Lilo and Stitch, you've got to completely lock that in the vault <laughs> for now until I say you're allowed.
0: Okay, so not only, so I have to live with the shame, but also I have to live with that until you tell me I can watch
1: it. This <laughs> yeah, feels like exactly, a prior, yeah. game. But it also means that you don't have that frame of reference for watching this movie, no. so you're not going to be affected by that when it comes to evaluating it so what did you think of rescue rangers
0: i thought it was tons of fun i thought it was such a creative and weird way into bringing this property back to life it had a bit of that lord and miller energy to me of like okay if we're going to do this let's just like go nuts with it and do something off the beaten track this could have easily just been a chip and dale movie set in the world of the show a reboot for those characters And the fact that it was kind of that, but also a meta commentary on the show and Hollywood and Disney and IP with all of these crazy cameos and things. I I think I was struck by the fact that sometimes the cameos were often there as visual jokes, which really made me laugh, that they didn't really do much then with those. But I kind of didn't mind because it just felt like an explosion of just creative weirdness that already those cameos and, and those kind of different things being in there were so outside the realms of what a rescue rangers movie needed to be that i, I didn't feel that need for them to do more with them uh, but i think because they gave quite a lot of that away in the trailers sometimes what you saw in the trailer just was the thing that's in the film it didn't take it much further than that although they held one of the big characters back <laughs> and i'm so glad they did ugly sonic I was not ready. We'll get to Ugly Sonic down the line, but this film was just loads of fun. I had a really good time with it. I laughed solidly for like 90 minutes and just felt like a nice example of hey, this film didn't need to be this good and I'm glad they found people who put this much thought into what this film could be when it could easily have been so, so much less
1: yeah that's definitely the main takeaway and that was the main takeaway from as soon as we saw that first trailer like this movie was announced on infamous disney plus investors call or whatever we'll it was we all
0: love disney plus investors day <laughs>
1: yeah so it was like okay we're doing rescue rangers and it's going to be john mulaney and andy sandberg and that's it and immediately you think oh okay so it's going to be like probably a live action alvin and the chipmunk style reboot of that and indeed that was originally planned I think as far back as 2015, they've been trying to make that as a movie. And then as soon as the Lonely Island guys got involved, or actually I think just before that, some guys, the writers came in, totally reworked the script into this meta thing, and that's what got the Lonely Island involved. And it suddenly became something that had a reason for being beyond just trying to milk nostalgia for what is already a relatively obscure property, in turn it into another franchise it became its own thing which justifies itself purely by being interesting even if this was terrible it would have been interesting like no matter how good or bad this movie was would still be doing this podcast probably because it's (laughs) it's it's so unique you know, even in terms of Roger Rabbit, it's unique because it's commenting on animation's place in the modern day, in a way. And as much as we get the, I don't know,
0: the ready-player
1: Wanification of movies at the moment of,
0: hey, here's a load of IP, let's shake it all up, let's put it all in one film, let's have a cameo from this and a cameo from that, this felt like Disney poking fun at itself. I think that's where you really felt a lot of the Lonely Island influence coming in, that it was the irreverence of it in a way that Disney is often so reverent to itself, felt like part of the fun. It felt like an anarchic little project running amok in the Disney canon in a way that if other people had got hold of it, it might not have had that kind of... They might not have given us a horrible, seedy, grown-up Peter Pan (laughs) and have him be like a major character in the film.
1: I mean, it's definitely the best of that recent spirit of splashing out all your ip movies like it's a lot better than space jam 2 for example right and you know i watched space jam 2 i got some of that pleasure of saying oh look there's obscure Hanna Barbera superhero team the herculoids in the background or whatever <laughs> I, I got to see the herculoids mm-hmm. which is great uh, bring back the herculoids but it was very much just here's all the characters they're on screen they're not really saying or doing anything whereas in this it feels like every ip character almost that got brought in Got at least like a gag, you know, something about it that was kind of unique to that character. And it wasn't just he, as all of Disney's IP, because they brought in lots of third party characters as well, which is what made Roger Rabbit so special, and which equally kind of makes this feel like a lived in world where toons exist.
0: Yeah, like I, we'll get into the extent of the cameos and the bootleg versions uh, a little bit down the line. But I think the fact that when those characters showed up, it was always with a joke. Either the fact that that character was there was a joke, or what they how they kind of twisted that character to be a bootleg version was itself a joke. It felt like it wasn't just like, hey, here's, there's a thing that you remember. It felt like what would be the weirdest or stupidest thing we could pull into the film right now or if we pulled this in what's a weird stupid thing we could do with it that would be funny That felt like the reason for those cameos to exist rather than just like that's a thing that we are allowed to put in the movie so let's do it but i guess to properly kick things off then what this film does in a really interesting way is make people care about chip and dale in the. It gives you the context, right? For kids who don't know this show, I wouldn't have known much about Chip and Dale if we hadn't been doing this podcast, apart from my childhood memories of meeting them at Disneyland Paris. I wouldn't have known much about Chip and Dale. And what this film really cleanly does in its opening is set up what Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers was, the show, whilst also introducing you to Chip and Dale as characters who exist outside of that show and gives you, conflict between them of when they broke apart and why they broke apart and what their shared history was and them as kids meeting each other and I think it gives you actual characters there while also not breaking the Rescue Rangers show and it just sets up so everybody is on the same page by the time the craziness begins in this film. Anybody going into this, even if you've never seen Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, even if you didn't know that was a real show, you are aware that within the world of this film That was a show, it was a popular show, these two were best friends, they're broken up, and also gives you like a bit of meat for both of those characters.
1: Yeah, and it's based on the personalities that those characters have had since they first appeared in like the 1940s. It's always been the case that Chippers is is kind of the smart, more serious one, and Dale is kind of the goofy one, uh, which by the way, is the suggestion of Enemy of the Shore Bill Pete. I believe he came up with that (laughs) to distinguish the two identical chipmunks. He was like, one of them should be a goofball, one of them should be the leader. They retained that, and it became more fleshed out in the Rescue Rangers show. And now here we still retain a version of that, but they are made a lot more human by giving them the biographies of like faded human movie stars, effectively, right? They map them onto something that we recognise from the real world. One thing that annoyed me a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean, I was complaining about it throughout (laughs) vocally, is that these versions of Chip and Dale haven't been around since the 1940s. In this movie, Chip and Dale meet each other in the 1980s, which segues into their time on Rescue Rangers. And even though in the big stash of, of Chip and Dale merchandise that we we'll see at one point, there's versions of their designs that predate Rescue Rangers, we don't get the sense that they were filming movies together, like cartoons with Donald Duck and Pluto in the 1940s.
0: So is that how far back these characters originate then though? They're from way back in the 40s, in the Mickey Mouse and Friends gang.
1: Yeah, very much so. And, you know, when they spun off um, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, the DuckTales, the next step seemed to be let's spin off some other slightly more obscure, like second or third tier Mickey Mouse family characters into their own action based children's show. And that's what Rescue Rangers became.
0: Yeah. So you were there going. Sure hope someone got fired for that, blunder when you were seeing the old merchandise and seeing, what, that they must have been born in the 70s or something for them to still, or 60s, so that they could still be, like, young adults when the show was at its prime. Because you kind of needed that then for them in the present day to be, like, sort of jaded older stars for that kind of emotional journey to work. But in terms of that emotional journey... I felt that pathos for Dale of having to be like the punchline all the time, of being the stupid one, and that made emotional sense of him being like, Do "You know what? I'm gonna get given this show where I'm I'm double O Dale. I'm I'm a cool action star, and I don't have to just be the
1: comic relief. I don't have to just be the butt of all the jokes. I I, I felt that. I believed that. I hope you don't feel that because. That's how you feel about our dynamic. <laughs> what? Well, you are the smart one, and I'm the one who says the stupid things. So maybe I did relate a bit too much to that, Sam. Maybe I did. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's very obvious which of us is going to cost players which rescue ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hang on. Which one has which costume? So Chip is the Indiana Jones one, and Dale is the Magnum PI Hawaiian shirt one. But now that I'm saying that out loud. I kinda want the Hawaiian shirt. That's more my vibe. Well,
0: that's the thing I was about to say. If if our dynamic is like your chip and I'm Dale, but I feel like I'm slightly more in terms of just dressing up, I'd be Indiana Jones guy and you would be Hawaiian shirt guy. Well, look, people are
1: complicated. <laughs> we contain multitudes. We inside of us, Sam, there is a chip and a dale. Inside everyone, there are two chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you feed? Oh, <sighs>
0: But one of the things that I thought was interesting, I guess this brings us into the the wider texture of the film, in that it is a live-action film with animated elements, animated characters. There was a moment that really struck me, or a couple of moments. One is that I loved when we saw them filming the Rescue Rangers TV show. This show that, to us, is an animated series, in that universe was shot as a live-action TV show with cartoon characters in a cartoon environment, but they had sets and they had cameras set up. Just that just really tickled me as like, who came up with like, oh, they should be shooting it as like a real show on a set, but the set... It's a cartoon and they are cartoons, so we just see it as a cartoon. That blew my mind.
1: Yeah, where would anyone come up with that idea from? You know, regardless of whether another very famous live action animated hybrid (laughs) movie had opened in the exact same way. With it being shot on an actual set, filming the cartoon with animated actors and the director being there barking, barking directions at them and, and maybe even with a joke about getting bonked on the head and birds or stars appearing around your noggin. I, regardless of that, it's still quite a smart move for them to do that in this movie. Is it a Roger Rabbit thing? Did they steal it <laughs> yeah, from Roger it's a, Rabbit? It's exact same thing in Roger Rabbit. <laughs> but see, see how much you're going to love Roger Rabbit. Right. I'm going to be watching
0: that like, hey, they just nicked this from rescue rangers to me that felt new that felt fresh that felt funny but the other thing that i don't think roger rabbit did correct me if i'm wrong is when chip and dale are kids and they're in school and is it dale who comes along and he pretends to have that pencil poking out of his eye and i was like oh this is a 2d character with sort of 3d shading who is holding a live-action pencil That is kind of poking towards the screen and he's flat but 3d at the same time but everything around him is 3d visually that really
1: like zinged me up i was like "Ooh, this looks cool okay so now we're talking about the visuals so now we're gonna we're gonna get into this so even though this whole dichotomy is set up in the present day of of the movie whereby dale has had cgi surgery and chip is then referred to as being 2d by comparison right in order to see these rescue rangers characters as being 2d they are not animated in 2d as you would generally understand that to be the case they are 3d computer generated models that have cell shading so that they appear to be two-dimensional and that weirdly seems to be only the case for the most prominent characters in the movie so all of the rescue rangers characters are made with 3D models with cell shading, as is Sweet Pete. But most of the other quote-unquote 2D characters in the film do seem to have been animated in 2D. This is just me eyeballing it. I'm not 100%, but for example, like, Flounder seems to be a 2D drawn And... That kind of ticked me off a little bit. <laughs> I know what you mean, Like it does have this visual pep to it and it obviously means they can integrate them better into these 3D live-action worlds, which is why they've done it, but it, I've found that to be very noticeable. The frame rate is quite noticeably lower on those characters than it is, for example, the when we see Roger Rabbit uh, in that sequence and he is 2D animated, and you do lose a lot of the fluidity that you get from, for example, the really painstaking hand drawn work that Richard Williams's team did on Who Framed Roger Abbott. and it to me it makes them look less like the cartoons and they seem to embody less of the weird plasmatic formal properties of the cartoons they don't feel like they have these formless amorphous cartoonal bodies they feel like just guys walking around in the world I don't like the way that Chip looks in this movie, is what I'm saying, basically. It's okay if you do. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't my cup of tea.
0: Because there was that funny tweet, I can't remember who did it, I'm so sorry, otherwise I would shout you out, but there was a tweet going around, I think it was a couple of months ago now, that was like, cartoons versus animated movies based on cartoons, and it was like, hey, you've got your original version on TV where it's properly 2D. When you put them in a movie, instinctively, they get extra shading, they get extra shadows on them, where it's still sort of 2D, but like, hey, this is a movie, so this means the movie version has to be, like, more than just TV. For me, I have to say, it worked, I didn't really bump up against it. The thing I was more upset about was just generally the design of CGI Dale, (laughs) which I'm glad they stuck with that for the whole movie, because I feel like the gag wouldn't work if he then could, like, reverse the surgery, but the fact that he gets that live-action movie, Alvin and the Chipmunks makeover, and he, he's he's looking like that for the rest of the film, I was like, Chip looks so cute in his like old-school version, he's really cool. And Dale, it's just, there's no soul to those CGI Chipmunks, Sam.
1: Oh, see, this is really, okay, this is just splitting us down the middle again, I prefer CGI Dale to, like, cel-shaded Chip. No, what? because he he feels more expressive because that's a model that's been designed to be animated in 3D whereas the other one chip feels stiff because it's a 2D design that they're animating in 3D and it doesn't it doesn't have that kind of expressivity he's not he's not as good an actor as CGI deal I think the CGI surgery raises a lot of questions as well though doesn't it I'm not trying to spend the whole podcast dissecting the logic of this <laughs> oh, movie yes you are yes it's, uh, <laughs> let's be clear about that Look, it's obviously a fool's errand, and I enjoy the movie despite these little logical niggles, although Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a lot more consistent. So Baloo's had CGI surgery to be in the live-action hybrid Jungle Book movie, okay? Lumiere, who, despite being in the Beauty and the Beast live-action hybrid movie, appears in this in 2D how come sheriff willoughby
0: (laughs) he's not had the surgery yet there was a cgi live action
1: ish lumiere in the live action beauty and the beast yes is that a different guy is that a different actor that they've hired to portray lumiere because the other lumiere wouldn't get the surgery yeah see also ugly sonic they didn't just redesign him to make him cute sonic whatever the opposite (laughs) is That's a different guy. They hired a new... They recast him. Yeah, some of these people have been recast and some of these people have had the surgery. Maybe it is just down to the willingness of the individual animated actor, whether or not they want to have the surgery. If you want to retain your own hideous appearance, then we're going to have to hire slash create a new Sonic. See, I'm getting bogged down in this. (laughs) I don't actually care that much when I'm watching the movie, but I'm thinking about it now. Because the
0: blue thing as well, Like, so that is the animated... Baloo who has been given the CGI surgery but he doesn't sound like Phil Harris but he also didn't have the voice of Bill Murray which is what I was listening out for so there are questions there are discrepancies here but the thing that I like about the CGI surgery idea especially for Dale even though the look upsets me I think like that's the point it's a visual gag but it comes from an emotional character place because it makes sense that the insecure Dale chasing that relevancy, trying to keep up with the times and and keep himself in a good place, would get that surgery, would want that surgery to try and remain relevant. It's a funny visual joke but like a really sad idea behind it all.
1: It is a genius way of commenting on both the way in which actors careers evolve and shift, especially those who get left behind by time, and also on what animation has become today and then the fact that it is just this recycling of ips and obviously you can get on your high horse and say well I'll, to what extent can disney make a valid point about doing this where they are instigators of this you know they are the people who keep trying to remake their own properties in cg but you know the point that the movie is trying to make isn't that serious to me right but then it also got me thinking about what in this world do the Toon characters represent? And I'm sorry to take it back to Roger Rabbit. but <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> you love to take it back to Roger Rabbit. So, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the Toons are segregated in their own area of Hollywood, Toontown, and they only exist to entertain. And there are indeed clubs in which the Toons perform, but the only attendees are humans. And all of this comes together to put forward an interesting, if not necessarily groundbreaking allegory about the way that African-American actors and performers were treated in Hollywood. It's not explicit, but it's clear that the roles of tunes in that world are analogous to the roles of African-American performers who were kind of chewed up and spat out by the industry who only saw them for their talents and not necessarily as people and only allowed them to behave in certain ways on screen. And at the end of that movie... The barriers are broken down, spoilers Ben, and and the Toons kind of, it's implied, are going to reintegrate with the humans. And I'm not sure whether this movie is supposed to be set in the same universe as Roger Abbott. But, if it is, then perhaps what we're seeing is the aftermath of that. Because Toons in this movie aren't just actors. Toons in this movie can be anything. A lot of them are actors but there are toon policemen, there are toon spa workers, toon cleaners, there are toons in lots of different professions, right? There is a cop car who is a car from cars. (laughs) Cars, right, (laughs) precisely, yeah. Toons can be anything. And that, I guess, does kind of evolve the premise of Roger Rabbit in a way that makes sense, With that movie's conclusion, but it also means that tunes feel less special in this world And it's harder to read anything into the themes of this so like Chip and Dale show us different avenues that like actors can go down when the careers have come to an end But then this is just a movie about two failed actors in that sense And it doesn't feel like it has much to say about the world or about animation beyond that and that's something that i was looking for and didn't quite find
0: yeah it does feel like there's maybe not that kind of wider points being made here but it felt like the satire here there's quite a lot of it but it's worn quite lightly what about though just the general like animation stuff did you enjoy the as we've spoken about so much in the show even in old disney movies especially in things like spider-man into the spider-verse seeing all these different animation styles all in one frame that you have like cgi cars from cars you have 2d ish characters on screen we had anime characters we had all sorts of visual things happening did that make you
1: happy overall of course that made me happy overall (laughs) that's an absolute delight yeah i love to see some of these styles of animation which have fallen from grace a little bit being brought back in like you know there aren't that many movies on this scale that are doing any kind of 2d hand-drawn animation at all let alone animation that draws from, like you say, anime or classic like superhero cartoons in there like tigra from avengers united they stand one from my childhood <laughs> and then you've got like characters from underground comics artists like robert crumb you've got the, the mr natural character by robert crumb wandering around main street you're look, looking at me blankly and that's fine who's mr crumb what no 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 robert crumb yeah <laughs> is an iconic 60s underground comics artist right he created fritz the cat ah uh, right. and mr The Natural is one of his characters. He sort of looks like a really old Popeye wizard. (laughs) That sounds extremely your thing. He's wandering around Main Street with a bunch of criminals who apparently operate out of Main Street. And there's a CGI Muppet as well. Is that Muppet CGI? Oh, yeah, yeah, Ah. the Muppet was CGI. But it's a Muppet nonetheless. A Muppet who deals in illegal stinky cheese. (laughs) 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 I loved all that. The
0: silliness of it really got me in a good way.
1: How can you not be delighted? But it is great to see. It's a very kind of semiotically rich film. Every frame has so many different signs there, you know, to, to grab your attention. It's a shame that the connotations of all of them weren't necessarily drawn out, but I guess it's only a relatively short movie. I'd love to know how anime characters interact with comic strip characters, for example. You know, just just I'd like to see further explorations teasing out the way that these characters interact with each other because, you know, we love Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but that is set in a time period in which animation was kind of one thing. Or maybe, see, yeah, you've got like your Disney features and then everything else was like Looney Tunes, Fleischer style, crazy comedy cartoons. And, all, you know, I love all of those characters and all those cartoons very much, but so much has happened in the world of animation since then, it's great to see a movie that can bring all of those together in a Roger Rabbit style.
0: I enjoyed Chip getting his Snoopy ear it was a, a funny little gag as well. Just like, hey, within one character model, and then especially as the film kind of ramps up and we get Sweet Pete in his sort of full form of having been transformed in various ways. Of He had like a Woody from Toy Story leg. He had a Wreck-It Ralph arm. He had yeah. a head that looked, it was like a
1: gray kitten, but it looked a lot like Marie. From the Aristocats yeah. with the little
0: bow in its hair?
1: It's Fat Cat from the. He's the villain in the Rescue Rangers cartoon. Right. But he's been given some Marie esque accoutrements. He's got Optimus Prime's leg as well. Yeah. And he seems to have Shredder's arm from the Ninja Turtles, but with uh... a big gun on the end. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and Cruella DeVille's laugh. Really? yeah oh that's great that's great what what did you make then let's talk about some of the cameos
0: what were your favorite cameos in this uh, i when i was watching it i was like sam is gonna love all the transformers stuff all the old school avengers cartoon stuff but there is so much everywhere <laughs> in this film what what stood out to you
1: okay so it is for me it is like just how obscure can you go i mean we've got jellicle cats yeah. jellicle cats is is fantastic and living in the uncanny valley uh, we watched that movie together in a crazy night Then not we bet yeah and um, we never quite recovered uh,
0: hey in one film we have the cars from cars and the cats from cats <laughs> oh a magical time we've
1: also got the little
0: house from the little house is that what mrs house was when he says hi mrs house i was like wait what, who or what is mrs house and then i googled it afterwards and nothing came up so i was like i just <laughs> thought they'd have a scene with like a living house and i respect that craziness yeah
1: that's that's a 50s disney short called the little house my favorite did you spot them mcgruff the crime dog oh <gasps> No, McGruff was in there. We're we going to have to explain McGruff now or you're going to have to explain McGruff. <laughs> I mean, wow, okay. So McGruff the Crime Dog, he takes a bite out of crime. <laughs> I think he dates back to the 1980s, maybe a little bit further. He is sort of a mascot that Tells children to avoid drugs and crime on, I guess, behalf of the police department of America. He sounds exactly like you think he's going to sound, I'm going to take a bite out of crime. (laughs) Hey, kids, don't do inhalants, that kind of thing. I should
0: stress, McGruff the Crime Dog was a real thing. This isn't something Sam's made up or like a random. It was in like cartoons. There was a live action man in a McGruff suit. Yeah. Uh, And and the way into Sam explaining McGruff to me, what about a year ago, was you were like, like, I've been listening to this album, man, and it's so good. You've <laughs> got to hear this album. And the album was McR- McGruff the Crime Dog's anti-drugs album that is basically pastiches of loads of like '70s and '80s soft rock sung by McGruff.
1: Yeah, there's like a there's like a Steely Dan takeoff. <laughs> there's like a Springsteen one. There's sort of a Dire Straits one. Never try marijuana. Don't try it at all. That kind of thing. Taking crack and cocaine to get high that's what you say you love <laughs> That's kind of the like seriously. It's all on YouTube the whole thing and it's like we're better than the McGruff Album has any right to be. He doesn't sing or even speak in this movie, but he's in the background of, of course, he's in the background of the police station. Oh, perfect. I'm going to have to rewatch it just to spot McGruff this time around. Look out for a man sized dog (laughs) in a trench coat taking a bite out of crime. So he's probably my number one. Surely the Shrek body wash,
0: if that counts as a cameo, was up there for you.
1: That was up there, but you also get some more prominent, like actual full on DreamWorks characters when the Seth Rogen. Beowulf night guy Gets knocked out He is laughed at by other Seth Rogen characters So you get Pumba which was I think that was in a trailer, maybe? Yeah, the Pumba moment was in the trailer, but the other bit wasn't. Yeah, so Pumba starts laughing at them, and then delightfully, out comes Bob from Monsters vs. Aliens and Master Mantis from Kung Fu Panda, two DreamWorks movies, which Seth Rogen was in. And they they have a good... (laughs) as well.
0: (laughs) Nothing cracks me up quite like Seth Rogen's laugh, and hearing four animated characters (laughs) all do Seth Rogen's laugh at once, heading straight into the Rogenverse was amazing. amazing love talk okay, what else have we got um senator butthead <laughs> yes yeah so in this world
1: butthead of beavis and butthead is running for office apparently yeah. speaking of people who've run for office we'll get bootleg winnie the pooh we'll get... <laughs> so he's been warped into Pooge the fat honey bear <laughs> and i did find that upsetting yeah. oh, okay so sidebar have you seen the winnie the pooh horror movie that they're making.
0: I have heard about the Winnie the Pooh horror movie they're making, because that character is now in the public domain, so people can do whatever they want with Pooh Bear.
1: Yeah, so there's a character where Pooh, who's basically played by a guy in a really frightening, sort of latex-looking Pooh costume, that apparently goes around killing people. Obviously, we'll be watching that and talking about it on the podcast in some form when it comes out, but for now, we've got Pooge the Fat Honey Bear, and this, this whole Pooh is now public domain thing, this is just going to be a circus of horrors for me. Like, I am not prepared for what the world at large is gonna do to my big yellow boy. But what this
0: does mean, Sam, is that you can make a Winnie the Pooh movie. Have you thought about that? No. You can do whatever you want. You could make a Winnie the Pooh movie in which Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin never part. They never have to have that sad goodbye and they're just friends forever but then that maybe it gets a bit weird when they're both like growing yeah, up. Yeah, I'm sure that
1: won't have any horrifying <laughs> <laughs> implications at all. Oh, we've got uh, your favourite Disney character, Pete.
0: I really liked what they did with grown-up Peter Pan here, because as we discussed <laughs> in the Peter Pan episode, he is a creepy character. He's a pretty weird dude in that episode, and him growing up into this, like horrible guy with a pot belly and a, oh, a ponytail like a little rat tail haircut really really tickled me and him being so embittered about the fact that he grew up and was cast out by Hollywood was just really funny to me uh, that was maybe one of the cameos where it was like oh this is beyond just a like hey here's like a funny joke with this thing they actually did something with that character that felt like a funny riff on who Peter Pan is supposed to be
1: okay so sidebar I was referring to a different piece <laughs> I was referring to Mickey Mouse's nemesis, Pete, who you have absolutely (laughs) refused to commit to memory.
0: Which even then, when you mentioned it, I was like, well, there's only only
1: one Pete that we could be talking about. (laughs) No, Pete, Pete! Oh, I'm Pete! (laughs) Flying on a... That's his catchphrase. He's flying on a magic carpet. He's basically playing the sultan. Right. I'm genuinely flabbergasted that for a third time, you have completely... (laughs) Forgot about Pete. Forgotten about Pete. We'll write a hip-hop song about that one day. (laughs) But no, we should say, with regards to Sweet Pete, a.k.a. Bitter Adult Peter Pan, there has been criticism levelled at this movie because of how closely his story mirrors the real-life story of Bobby Driscoll, the actor who voiced Peter Pan he also appeared in Song of the South and a few of Disney's other early live action movies and you know Peter Pan was his last contracted film with Disney and by that point he was hitting puberty and developing acne which is something that's directly referenced in this film and Disney didn't renew his contract on that basis and he spent years struggling to find work and developing a drug addiction and eventually died of drug related complications in his 30s I believe and whether or not the writers of this movie had any idea that that was the case, I mean, maybe you probably should have, or someone should, if you're working at Disney. That feels a little bit ill-advised, knowing that context. It works as a character, absolutely. Like it, it makes sense for the villain of this movie and for his motivation. But um, if you do know that backstory going in, it's a little bit uncomfortable. To say nothing of all the other child stars who've had similar trajectories yeah wow that
0: is dark yeah i didn't know that such a tragic outcome for me i have to say the stuff that really made me laugh in this it was all the background jokes it reminded me almost of like an aardman movie a wallace and gromit movie where just just titles of things in the background or titles on books or like bits of packaging everything was filled with gags i need nothing more in my life than to see fast and furious babies yeah, that was incredible. I also want to see Meryl Streep playing Mr. Doubtfire. <laughs> and the fact that we got the funny joke anyway of Batman versus E.T., but then we got to see a bit of that movie. of <laughs> E.T., forgive Bat. <laughs> 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 i just saying, fine. <laughs> yeah, it was so very good. good,
1: very good. Although they had Will Arnett on hand and didn't get voice Batman. Maybe that yeah. was a, a legal thing that they weren't allowed to do. Probably,
0: because there's a lots of Warner Brothers stuff licensed here but maybe that was a a license too far but i like how they kind of got around a lot of the right stuff as well with the idea of of the bootleg characters and again the bootleg things just really cracked me up so yeah obviously uh pooch the fat honey bear and spaghetti dogs (laughs) pete's bootlegged version of lady and the tramp uh i i would definitely get some lego miserables sets as well all of that stuff really made me laugh as did again just stupid gag out of nowhere 3d in your face news (laughs) where they got the 3d (laughs) newscaster who's like always poking the microphone out towards the audience and stuff just yeah loved that
1: one cameo that we'll have to mention before we move on as well toby the tortoise from robin hood except he's absolutely jacked what? at the end he's one of the bootleg tunes who escapes i guess maybe he's meant to be blended with a ninja turtle possibly or <laughs> or just the incredible hulk or something like that but it's this it's toby tortoise from robin hood
0: newly minted Disney disneyversity legend just got even yes. more legendary
1: Um, yes exactly I mean there's no way we can turn them down now
0: (laughs) and we've invoked him already but we can't talk cameos without talking ugly Sonic I'm so glad they held that back that just cracked me up no end Uh, The fact that they, like, somehow even rehabilitated Ugly Sonic, the fact that they managed to get him in this film and turned him into, like, a funny joke. That means now I think some people might start having some, like, warmth towards Ugly Sonic, who was so lambasted by the internet that they went back and remade the entire Sonic the Hedgehog movie just to replace him. Ugly Sonic, whoever came up with that, deserves
1: all the money. Did you see who it was originally going to be? No. I don't know if it it was like this was the original plan or this was the plan if we couldn't get Sonic. Um, There are storyboards of the scenes with ugly Sonic, but it's Jar Jar Binks.
0: (gasps) No. Well, we're all wondering at the moment, genuinely is Jar Jar Binks or... A Gungan gonna turn up in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, maybe Star Wars has plans for that character in some way, this is, uh, I'm not taking the piss, like
1: genuinely maybe yeah. there are Jar Jar plans afoot. That might be it. They might have said, you can't take the piss out of Jar Jar right? in this movie because... Jar Jar's rehabilitation is coming. We're bringing them back. Yeah, that's probably... Yeah, yeah that might be a clue. Yeah, loved it. Tim Robinson, perfect casting. Again, they didn't get Ben Schwartz, which kind of makes sense that's probably part of the licensing deal if there even was a licensing deal with paramount and sega because i was looking in the copyright section of the credits to help me out with my cameo spotting like oh let's see who they've actually paid to license these characters i didn't see sonic there so i think this would fall under parody if they wanted it to uh, because it's it's clearly like sonic is the object of the joke right that, I believe, will be legally clear. I don't know. It will probably muddy relationships with uh, with those companies that hold the rights to that character. But, yeah, I'm not 100% sure that they actually did clear this. But regardless, it's not Ben Schwartz. It's Tim Robinson. And this Sonic fits so well into the Tim Robinson universe of characters from I Think You Should Leave, too. It's just fantastic all those little close-ups on his horrible oh. man teeth
0: at <laughs> that moment when you get the real close-up of him and he's saying ugly sonic goes slow baby <laughs> <laughs> it really zooms in on the teeth the horrifying human teeth there's just like Excellent so stuff. maybe ugly sonic counts as like its own character that was never an official character it was not used in the film maybe sega don't actually own that character having a a sort of parody character who is called Ugly Sonic, who is not called Sonic the Hedgehog, who happens to look like a design that they did not use in that film, maybe that's fair game. That's kind of genius.
1: I really hope so, because again, I'd like to see him return. I'd like to see the further <laughs> adventure. That could be like one of those short series that they put out on Disney+, Plus. the further adventures of, of Ugly Sonic. Ugly Sonic and Pooch the Fat Honey Bear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but as much as I loved Ugly Sonic, we
0: actually haven't mentioned my favourite character in the film yet which had to be Putty, who, as we eventually learn towards the end, is the big bad of the movie. He's like a plasticine Gumby guy who they call out by name. (laughs) At the end, somebody calls him a low-rent Gumby, but having a little rectangular detective with a mustache voiced by J.K. Simmons, who gets loads of funny lines. Every time I saw him, I cracked up seeing Putty on a Segway, zooming around. Every time we
1: walked into a scene, every expression that he made, Oh, I love him so much. I mean, I remember getting a text from you when that second trailer dropped with that character saying, Sam, is this Gumby? <laughs> like, oh, it doesn't quite... He looks, he looks a bit too blue to be Gumby. I think he's a, a non-actionable, again, parody of Gumby, but he's obviously existing in that Gumby world. He has all of the supernatural, stretchy powers that Gumby has, which leads to what might genuinely be my favourite scene in the film, the sort of, basically, horror film slash Terminator 2... Yeah sequence yes. where putty is coming after ellie who is really the only human main character in the film i thought she
0: was a likable character i like to roll in in this as well
1: yeah she's she's great and she is really great fighting against putty it's just it's like what if gumby was a horror villain i don't want to see the wingy the Pooh horror movie i do want to see the gumby horror movie because it's so effective it's like yeah he can do anything he can be anywhere how do you stop Gumby. It's terrifying. I mean, him sliding
0: under the door like the T-1000 was incredible, and then she, like, shreds him through a basket, like, halfway down to his waist it was, uh, it was pretty hardcore.
1: It was so effective, just completely implacable, that guy, which makes the Gumby movie even more frightening than it already is and my Gumby movie blu-ray in the shape of Gumby's head is probably going to have to be stashed away um, for a little bit because I'm going to get a bit edgy every time I see it. (laughs) He gets that great line at the end as well when he's uh,
0: found out and he says I'm a greedy little smurf who did it for the money. (laughs) (laughs) And that whole idea as well that he set Ellie up for the the Nickelodeon Junior raid (laughs) with the Paw Patrol. Super funny. Okay then, our time is very nearly up, but I guess we should just end on what What do you think this means for Chip and Dale going forward? Like, it seems there's been a really positive reception to this film. We have had this in-universe Chip and Dale movie, or do you think we get more cartoon Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers? Do you think we get more Chip and Dale movies in this world? And as that sort of mid-credits sting teases, do we get Darkwing Duck? Do we get more... Disney animated series getting their own weird madcap movies like this.
1: I mean, it's very possible that we'll get more Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I definitely think there could be a sequel to this movie. If, but I do wonder if this has kind of poisoned the well for just actual Chippendale Rescue Rangers for a while. I mean, Gadget and Zipper have hybrid children. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> it's canon. The sexy mouse, who is an absolute favourite of people who enjoy that kind of thing. <laughs> has had babies with the little fly guy who doesn't really speak in there. He's sort of the, the Evan Rude equivalent from The Rescuers. That alone, I feel like, has poisoned the well for just genuine Rescue Rangers reboots for a while. But I'd like to see more of this. Darkwing Duck gets set up, that's something that's been in development hell for a while, and now, I believe, has Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg attached?
0: Right, so that is happening, and from a probably similarish vantage point, a similar outlook to The Lonely Island, guys, that you'd expect that to be irreverent and kind of madcap, which... Hey, if there's going to be a Darkwing Duck movie, you might as well do something weird with it, hey?
1: You would think so, but the one that I really want to see is Tailspin. If we're going to make a Disney (laughs) afternoon reboot, I think it should be live action Tailspin. We've just had Top Gun Maverick. The stage is absolutely set for more kick-ass fighter pilot movies, and I think if you can do one of those with Baloo the Bear, who... it is established in this movie as the same Baloo the Bear who later got CGI surgery to be in the Jungle Boot movie. I definitely think you should do that. That's my pick. Is Phil Harris still alive? Very much not, Ben, no. Okay, but maybe now that there's that re
0: technology, which I think has been used on Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian, and now Darth Vader, James Earl Jones in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I'm just saying, re Phil Harris, more Baloo, tailspin movie... I'm down. Stick it on Disney Plus. We'll do a special about it. Anyway, I think that about wraps us up on this Chippendale Rescue Rangers special bonus episode. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back fairly soon. We know you've been waiting just a little bit more to wait and we'll be back with you shortly with our Disney Renaissance era. It's going to be a big era, tons of big things happening. We will keep you updated on our social media, so look out for that. And in the meantime, you can follow us at Disneyversity on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow
1: Sam at... SamSummerZero, the number zero, the digit, not the word, on Twitter. <laughs> it's the worst Twitter handle of all time. <laughs> and the worst
0: plug for a Twitter handle ever as well. <laughs> and you can follow me at BenSTravis. And if you've enjoyed this episode and all of our other episodes, please do give us a little rating. Give us a a five-star rating on iTunes, on Spotify, or whatever you feel we deserve. We would love hearing your thoughts about the show. We're really looking forward to being back soon. But for now, it's goodbye from Sam. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to watch Bubba Gump Restaurant, the movie. Bye. Disneyversity is brought to you by Ben Travis and Sam Summers. Our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs and our music is by Nefetz. Follow us at Disneyversity on Twitter and Instagram and catch you for next week's class.